0: Well, good morning, Sunset family. It is so good to see you again and to be seen by you. I'm Pastor Jay, and so pleased to have you with us on this Easter morning. I continue to be so grateful for uh, the the feedback we get from our Sunset family locally of your participation and uh, ability to navigate all the electronics involved in joining us, and as well, uh, many friends who have joined our Either our live broadcast or or picked it up later uh, in other parts of Washington, down south in particular, uh, some of you across the country, and of course our global global partners in other parts of the world. I have been so pleased to uh, to see a picture or two from you all who are down in the Philippines, our friends uh, who are who are there also, kind of sheltering in place and weathering the storm, but. But meeting around a television and joining the Sunset Bible Church uh, broadcast, so grateful for all of you and welcome. I would love to have you take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, uh, verses 1 through 20, we are going to move our way through the whole chapter. Uh, There really are several things I want to comment on, Easter proper, the details of the resurrection of Christ, some of the other things going on in culture, and then the way Matthew ends his, his, his book. This this telling of the story of Jesus by looking at what we call the Great Commission that that sending into all the world and so I want to go there I I know some of you have managed to uh, pick up the sermon notes uh, that have been published and others of you not so much but I want to I want like for us to to read the Word of God the whole chapter and we'll pray together and talk about it talk about it so join me please as we. As we hear the Word of God, and then and then we'll we'll come to him in prayer matthew twenty eight one through twenty says this now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his see I have told you and so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold Jesus met them and said greetings and they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him then Jesus said to them do not be afraid go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble." So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the 12 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, "'All authority in heaven and on earth "'has been given to me. "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Would you pray with me as we come to God's word? Our Father, we take great joy in opening the word of God together, uh, this great unifier of the people of God and, and today welcoming people from all around the area and even other parts of the world. So grateful that we are bound together in you and this privilege of joining together around the word of God. So, Father, would you help us now to to think well and to concentrate and and to to be taught by you as, as we spend these moments together. Help us, our Father, on this Easter morning to see Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. If you have been with us for these days of Holy Week, you know that we have been using the theme "Rejoice greatly" as a, as a unifier for us. Of course, taken from the Book of Zechariah, chapter nine, uh, verses nine and ten. "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem!" And we have we have celebrated together the coming of Jesus into into the city of Jerusalem and then walked with him during those days of Holy Week, and all the way to the cross, and these days of darkness. And we come now to this Easter morning, and I, I would like for us to, to think together about how Easter morning unfolded for the followers of Jesus. Uh, it began uh, very much as the worst possible day, or another of the worst possible days and I think the the story that we read a moment ago maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense un, unless we think of right where the disciples were uh, this the Sunday before what we have called palm sunday uh, i i can't imagine writing any higher uh, the enthusiasm of the crowd, the followers of Jesus uh, entering Jerusalem there with this one that they believed was going to be the savior and and throw off the power of rome and and Israel was going to rise again. They were going to make Israel great again. And and that was their hope and expectation of what a Messiah would be. And the week moved along and dark clouds began to come, and then that that most awful of days when Jesus was arrested and the disciples fled like scared rabbits, so sure that the disciples were going to come or the soldiers were going to come for them next. And that fear, of course, lingered for days. Jesus crucified on the cross, some watching from a distance, Peter having denied Christ, others too afraid to show their faces. Peter at least went close, close enough to be questioned. Others weren't even there. And then those awful days of doubting, no, they understood death. Uh, Jesus had died, a spear thrust into his side, beaten beyond recognition, the prophet Isaiah would tell us. His face more marred than any. The disciples scared soldiers perhaps looking around for them, who knows the morning that we call Easter dawned like any other day, another day that if the disciples slept at all, they woke to that harsh reality, that moments of fogginess of the brain you you 're familiar with, and suddenly it hits him again. No, he died, he did, our hope is gone. What do we do now? When can we come out of hiding? How is this all going to end? What in the world was this about? We, we saw him heal the sick and raise the dead. What was all that about? Who is this man? Who was he? And where do we go from here? All those, all, that, all the doubt. And I, I labor this point because I, I want us to understand that those early followers of Jesus, as this Easter morn came, they were not easy believers in resurrection, Sometimes people talk about those the, the early followers of Jesus almost like prehistoric people, certainly pre-scientific people. I mean, come on, easy to believe a myth, easy to believe, and actually, no. The testimony of Scripture is uniform, that those early followers of Jesus were hard, hard to convince, and doubted for days and weeks whether it was even true or not. Even after seeing him resurrected, some doubted, can it really be, or is this a good double, We would, we would say, Now, if you have your your sermon notes at all, uh, you, you know that there are two headings that I want to look at the text in. You hopefully have your Bibles open as I read it a moment ago. I want to make some comments on verses 1 through 15 under the heading, Rejoice Greatly, He is risen indeed. And then I want to move to a few comments on verses 16 to 20 under the heading, Rejoice Greatly, there is hope for the nations. Now, I read the text a moment ago, and perhaps your eyes glance at it again with me, Uh, the, the story of these ladies heading to the tomb. Now, two are mentioned by Matthew. If you read the other gospel accounts, you find others who are mentioned either joining them on the way to the tomb, perhaps joining their party later when they heard some yelling. We're not really sure how that played out. Uh, as we heard the story of Easter a moment ago, there were three mentioned in that story. Indeed, I think Mark mentions another lady, and then John as well, another, and then others who were part of this band going back to the disciples to tell them. So these two, though, Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary, so, so uh, named by Matthew, an earthquake, an angel of the Lord, the stone pushed away, and, Frequently mentioned, and I think accurately so, the stone rolled away, not to let the Savior out, but to let people in. Uh, Jesus, of course, didn't need any help getting out, but others to see inside. The, The awesome appearance of an angel. The guards becoming like dead men. I think so. Can you imagine the angel speaking to the women? the running to the disciples. John's gospel tells us of of uh, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, of course, running, running to the tomb in a foot race to see what was going on. This These odd interactions. Was it really him coming to see him? Fear, great joy, yes, no kidding. Is it really him? Did you think so? Questions, doubt. Now, uh, several things here. Again, I, I, I want to labor on this point of the the questioning of the disciples. They were not naive, conspiracy-oriented people, these early followers of Jesus. They were realistic. They were deeply grieving. They had seen Jesus die. The gospel accounts give numerous examples of those early followers of Jesus who questioned. And just to to think with you about some of these, uh, we read a moment ago, Matthew 28, 17, all the way toward the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Ascension, uh, rather, Uh, there were some present doubting, uh, probably beyond the 11. Uh, Acts would suggest that there were far more than the 11 present when Jesus ascended to heaven, Uh, but but some doubting. In Luke chapter 24, you find several indications of the doubt. Uh, Luke mentions that when the women came to the disciples and told them that they had seen these angels and the tomb was empty, that, that to the disciples, it sounded like, uh, no offense, stories of silly women. Uh, women, of course, not the most credible witnesses in those early days. Uh, but but there were, there was great doubt when the women came back and told this story. And then later in, in God, Luke's gospel, chapter 24, on that same day, Cleopas and another disciple on the road to Emmaus, you remember a, uh, being met by the resurrected Christ, and they said to him, Uh, troubled in spirit having heard stories of resurrection we had hoped that he was the one who would deliver Israel but now we've heard these stories of of resurrection and my point is rather than them saying he's alive and dancing down the street they were troubled and mulling this over and saying what can this mean how can it be resurrected from the dead he died a wicked death how can it be they doubted I appreciate that and then of course famously in John chapter 20 you find the story of that wonderful friend of ours Uh, We often call doubting Thomas. I'd like to have that name follow you for two thousand years and into eternity. Doubting Thomas. Well, actually, he did us a favor because he's the one who said, "Just because you say so, I'm not going to believe it. I want to see the place where the nails went in his hands, and I want to see where the spear went into his side. Unless I do, you're not fooling me with any of this stuff." And then, of course, Jesus met them. Jesus met met him, and he said, "My Lord and my God." He saw, and. I, I mention one other element here about the disciples hard to convince, terrified. John points out that as the as Jesus met them that resurrection day, that when he came to the disciples, it says he came to them, they were in a room, the doors being locked for fear of the Jews. That's John twenty, verse nineteen. Now, the doors were locked, uh, dead bolted. I don't know how they did it in those days, but they locked the doors for fear. Even after hearing stories of resurrection, they weren't dancing in the street. Hard to convince is my point. And then, interestingly, in, as that, that story unfolds in John 20, eight days later with the interaction with Thomas, guess where the disciples were still? That's right. They Eight days later, they were still not running up and down the road yelling. No, it says... Jesus came to them, the doors were still locked. Try that. Eight days later, I don't know where you would have been. You might have been out, uh, you know, running up and down the street shouting to all your friends. But the early disciples, having watched Jesus be arrested and die that awful death, they weren't so quick to run up and down the streets. Now, I think it's significant that level of questioning because they were, their minds were working like yours. Maybe you're a person today who's skeptical. There are skeptics about all kinds of things. Some of us are skeptical in other areas. But when this story of Jesus rising from the dead came along, those early followers of Jesus were not pushovers. No, they were saying, can it be? How is that possible? Pre-scientific? Oh, sure. But they understood death. Probably better than we do. We live with an expectation we're going to live 90, 95 years, 100 and uh, they didn't live with that expectation. Death came quicker. Death came to them often younger. And they understood death. And Jesus had died. And their hope had been crushed. And so as they finally came to embrace, no, in fact, the impossible has happened. He has risen indeed. This was a big shift for them as their faith, uh, it was like the light came on. They understood. They understood. Now, I mentioned that verses 11 through 15 also provide evidence for the, for the resurrection account. Well, they do. This little paragraph tells the story of the guard having been at the tomb, knowing something happened. I don't know that they understood all of it. They understood earthquakes and angels and so on, I guess. But they, they ran into the city and told their story. Something happened. And this little conference that took place we were told about assembling with the elders and a payoff can you imagine a a, a plot some kind of a conspiracy money under the table tell people his disciples came by night what kind of a foolish story is that they stole him away while we were asleep who really knows who was uh, who was there when you're asleep if you're really asleep how can you say the disciples came all you can say is we were sleeping woke up something i don't know he was gone but to say the disciples stole him while we were asleep that's nonsense to begin with and money it took money for them to tell that story and people eagerly to believe it. I think there's, a, there's an element of credibility here. Somebody knew something happened, and for money, they kept their mouth shut. Well, I think it's a, a testimony, a little, little nudge toward the authenticity of the account. Somebody had to have some money to not tell the rest of the story. And then I think it's significant, this resurrection of Jesus Peter would, would say, 50 days later, day of Pentecost, on his wonderful sermon, Peter having uh, been restored by Jesus in those intervening weeks. John, John's gospel tells us about that. Peter preaches a great sermon, and in the text, he says in Acts chapter two, it was not possible. It was not possible for death to keep him. We sang that earlier, heard that song. Death could not keep its prey. And that song was written Based on what Peter said, it was not possible for death to keep him. No, the Lord of life, creator of life. How could death keep him? How could death own him? Now, before we move to that latter paragraph, I want to back up with you uh, to a part of the text that has always captured my attention. Uh, maybe a little bit of holy conjecture, holy imagination. I hope holy imagination. But I look back with you at verse 2. And I think this is kind of fun, all right? Uh, At least it is in my brain. This is giving you a window into my thoughts. Here you have an angel of the Lord. And again, the different gospel accounts speak of one or two angels. But here's the one that Matthew is commenting on. The angel of the Lord comes, rolls back the stone, and he sits on it. Okay, I just would like to ask you, why did the angel sit on the stone? No, go ahead. Can't hear you. Was he tired? It was a heavy stone. The angel was, is that what it was? I don't think so. Uh, Why would an angel sit on the stone? Was it to have a comfortable place to chat? I don't think so either. And and you can, you know, sanctified imagination means you think about this a little bit. I I find great joy in the way that, that I interpret this. I have no authority for it whatsoever, uh, but, but I think it's fun. I think the angel sat on that stone with, as, a, as a mark of emphasis, kind of like, ha, try that. That's what I think it was. And I find it interesting to think about these events through the, through the, the, the lens of an angel. And I, I, I travel with you here quickly to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 as Peter, of course, who was right right as, as a part of this whole story, as Peter offers some conjecture as well about angels. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 12, he's talking about the unfolding of the gospel down through the ages, the prophets speaking and so on. And he gives this little phrase, things into which angels long to look. Isn't that interesting? Things into which angels long to look, which is a suggestion to me, that maybe the angels watching in heaven are seeing the plan of salvation unfold, probably not understanding all the details until it does. And if indeed that's the case, if they're longing to see how this plays out, longing to know what it's going to look like, then I can just imagine, I can imagine the angels, uh, and again, sanctified imagination, forgive me. Uh, I can imagine the angels watching from heaven, Uh, Jesus born as a baby in Bethlehem. Well, that's not so bad. It's kind of cute. Babies are great. And all the details of Jesus' life and the angels ministering to him at different times and temptation and so on. Garden of Gethsemane, this is getting serious now. An angel certainly stepping to his side. Um, And then from the standpoint of the angels, watching the one who all of heaven worshiped, the one who spoke the worlds into existence. Now, treated like this, treated like this by the people he made. Can you imagine? You remember Jesus saying at one point, do you not think I couldn't call uh, 12,000 angels? Right at this moment, I I can imagine the armies of heaven uh, standing ready, uh, watching Jesus being abused and tortured. I can imagine, and again, sanctified imagination. I can imagine the angels saying, let's get him." Let's squash them like bugs uh, in a holy way. But the angel's ready to come. And then he dies. And if the angels were not understanding all of this, I can imagine the angels being silent. How's this going to go? What's going to happen? And then the moment when along came Gabriel or somebody saying, hey, I need a couple of angels for a special assignment. I need you to go down and move a stone. And I can just imagine thousands of angels raising their hands. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And then finally, okay, you and you make it happen. Two angels head down to this moment, this garden tomb. And this one particular angel shoves the stone away and sits on it. That's my explanation as to why. Maybe you have a better answer or why that details in the text. Maybe you've never thought of that before, but I sure have. The angel rolled away the stone and he sat on it. That's him saying, ha, take that. Look, world, it's empty. Come see, come see the place where he was, where the body of Jesus was lying. You just come look. I, I, that's what I think. I think there's a punctuation. It was a mark of emphasis. Well, maybe you don't find that as entertaining as I do, but I have to do something when I'm awake at night. And so that's what I think about. Rejoice greatly. He is risen indeed. Now, Matthew's gospel then shifts over several weeks of time, chronologically, to the mount where Jesus is going to ascend to heaven. And you find those final few verses of the gospel of Matthew. The 11 disciples, as we read, went to Galilee. And clearly from from Acts, Luke telling the story in Acts, others were there as well, maybe a 100 or so. Hard to tell exactly. But others were coming. There's Jesus. Some worshiped some doubted and then Jesus gives what we what we often call the great commission and Matthew follows he follows the resurrection with the great commission in short order it's like he presses them together he leaves out a lot of other details that other gospel writers talk about and he presses the, the Great Commission right up to the resurrection, which is why I talk about it today. I, I think there's a point to be made here. Right from resurrection, he heads to Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, hope for the nations. And I, I, I love the way Matthew puts them together, not just randomly telling a story, but carefully crafting uh, the, the, this gospel, this telling of the story of Jesus for emphasis Now, when we talk about the story of Jesus' perfect life, his death, burial, and resurrection, we often call that the gospel, and rightly so. The word gospel, of course, means good news, and the Bible tells us that this good news is good news not just for the for the the early disciples of Jesus or for a few select uh, people in different parts of the world. It's good news for the nations. It's good news for the nations. Uh, Sometimes people think about Christianity as a European religion or an offshoot of of Jewish faith. Sometimes it's even maybe pejoratively called a white man's religion. None of that is true. Christianity is good news for the nations. It's hope for the nations. And the emphasis is here, as as Matthew tells his story, uh, make disciples, he he quotes Jesus, make disciples of all all the nations, and to know your Bible a bit and to know the the language of of the Bible in which it was originally written, I I think it's helpful to to know that the term that's translated nations here is the one from which we get the word ethnic groups. Ethnic, ethnic groups. So all the nations, all the ethnic groups of the planet are in view here. Um, the, The terms are very specific, all of them, all the All the nations, the the is is not here represented in English, but it's there as Matthew tells the story. Uh, All the nations, all the nations go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. The story of Jesus is good news for the nations. And part of the reason that's true is that the nations all around the world, every tribe and tongue and people and nation have a common problem, common enemy. Certainly we think about sin, but sin leads to death. And whether a person is a follower of Jesus or a follower of any other faith system or none, there is a common problem facing all the ethnic groups of the world, and it's the problem of death. And I think we're thinking about that a lot these days and of pandemic and so on. Uh, one writer very recently said, and I can't quote him correctly because I didn't memorize it, but he said, after this uh, global pandemic is done and we, we are done thinking about infection rates and death rates and so on, we're going to have to come face-to-face again with the understanding that to be a human is to have a pretty high death rate as well. Uh, I believe it's like 100%. So we can think about a smaller death rate for a pandemic, but, to, but the world is under a global pandemic as well. And that is all people eventually will die. Now, the prophet Isaiah speaks of this in a very picturesque way, this problem of the nations. He does so in in Isaiah chapter 25. And I just want to read a couple of verses here because it's looking ahead to a future day as the prophet writes it, when when this problem of death is solved once and for all. And so Isaiah says this, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. So he's, it's a place of, he's describing a setting of, of of joy this is joy to the full wonderful wonderful feast prepared and then it says and he will swallow up on this mountain the the covering that is cast over all people the veil that is spread over all the nations he will swallow up death forever now isaiah is picturing death as a as a shroud a, a heavy cloth just covering the world, uh, smothering the world. And he's right. He's right. Uh, To travel the world at all is to see so many places where life is cheap. Life and death come quickly. Where, unlike here in America, we have expectations of long life and comfort and ease and a happy retirement and, and ample supply. To travel the world at all is to see people living right on the razor edge, all the way through their life, not having health care, not having food, not having shelter, dying perhaps of some easily preventable disease at a young age, children, children dying. Indeed, the prophet is right, death like a shroud that covers the whole planet. And then he says, he God God will swallow up death forever in words that the apostle John uses later in Revelation the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces the prophet is looking ahead to a yet future day when the, when death is dealt with once and for all how does that happen how could it happen how has it happened well that's the coming of Jesus uh, the prophet Isaiah is really looking ahead to what Jesus would do in dying on the cross for our sins and conquering death so that we could read based on Old Testament, find it again in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, oh death, where is your victory? Oh grave, where is your victory? Oh no, no death, death no longer wins because of that moment when the stone is rolled away and the angel sits on it and says, ha, take that. Take that death. You no, longer, you no longer win. You no longer rule this planet because one has risen from the dead. One has come to pay the price for all the sins of the world, for the people, all of those who will trust Christ. Sins covered and paid for. Now, you think back with me to Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. He says, then go to all the nations. There are three alls. Teach them all that I've commanded you. This is a call for the church. It's a call to all who know Jesus as their Savior. These are the marching orders of the church. And I just think about this with you in its application. Uh, this this uh, fulfilling, this great commission looks very different all around the world. It can involve sharing Christ with a neighbor, living Christ uh, wherever we go. It can involve going to another place or serving right here. It can involve teaching a Sunday school class. It can be, an, it can, it can be fulfilled. Some of you rock babies in the nursery. Guess what? It's part of the Great Commission. It is. Because while you're rocking babies in the nursery, somebody else is teaching somebody else and we're hearing the gospel. We're growing in our faith. However you serve, it all kind of fits together under this, under this umbrella. All authority in heaven on earth Jesus says, has been given to me. Go, make disciples of all the nations. I want to think with you as well on a, on a personal level uh, for you on this Easter day. Uh, the core message of the Bible is that Jesus died on the cross in your place to pay for your sin. Sometimes I, I hear, as you do as well, people say, well, you know, the Bible's so confusing. You can interpret it all kinds of different ways in this verse and that verse. Just read that. What does that mean? Well, let me just summarize the, the main thing. We can debate all kinds of other issues and other obscure verses, and uh, I don't understand it all either, but I do understand this. I'm a sinner before a holy God, and there is no way on God's green earth I can pay for my sin And unless unless there was intervention from somebody else that God provided in Jesus, there is no way I would make it to God's heaven. People sometimes think about getting to heaven and they think about a person being a good person. We say, they were a good person. I know they're in a happier place. Let me tell you something. I'm not that good of a person and neither are you. Not good enough to earn heaven. I've messed up and so are you. Come on, you know, face it. Not that good, not perfect. The price to get into heaven is perfect perfect. You don't make that grade, nor do I. Only one who lived a perfect life could meet that grade. And Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross. And the Bible tells us when he died on the cross, he he was a substitute for us. He died in our place. He bore my sin before the Father. In my place, condemned he stood. Rose from the dead, conquering my, my, my my biggest enemy, is death itself. What am I going to do then? How do, I, how do I grapple with death? Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead, giving ample evidence that that sacrifice on the cross was, was accepted by the Father, Scripture tells us. And the call to you and to me, wherever you are on this planet, whether here in this community, uh, someplace further away or around the world, the call is the same, Whatever your background, whatever your native tongue, whatever your ethnicity, whatever culture you find yourself in today, the call is the same, that you would trust Christ as your savior from sin. And the Bible tells us that when you trust Christ as your savior from sin, that it's like your, your sin is credited to Christ at the cross. And the righteousness of his perfect life covers you. I mentioned that the price to get into heaven is pretty high, it's perfect. Right. You need you need to get in on the dime so to speak of somebody who was perfect. That's Jesus. You need to have your sin problem dealt with and you need the the credit of his perfect life wrapped around you, the righteousness of Christ we read about in scripture. Well, this morning I would like for us to to finish this portion by reading together a part of the Bible that I just referenced a few minutes ago. It's on the study sheet, if you have that in front of you somehow, or if you have a print of the Bible. I'm gonna read from the ESV out loud, and wherever you're at, whatever uh, wherever you find yourself, I wanna read, have us read together, Matthew 28, 5 through 7. I'll give you a minute to find that. You might find it on a, in an actual Bible or, or uh, on an electronic device, but Matthew 28, five through seven, these are the words of the angel speaking to the women that day at the tomb of Jesus, okay? Matthew twenty eight, five through seven, wherever you're at, uh, have a person, if you're in a group, pick a person, or all of you read it out loud, but let's let's look together at the Word of God then. Matthew twenty eight, starting verse five, we read this. But the angel said to the women do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. with those words, the world has never been the same. It's never been the same since. I hope today you know Jesus is your Savior. And if you're not sure, you can settle that today. You can settle it right now. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And maybe this is the moment when you will say, God, I trust you. I trust Jesus as my Savior from sin. Maybe you'll do that even now. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this telling of the story of Jesus the day the stone was rolled away and the angel sat on it. Oh, others spreading all kinds of other stories, trying to cover up what was the truth. And then all the way to Jesus saying, go, make disciples of the nations. Lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And our father, there is going to be an end of the age. You've told us that. And until that day, it is our prayer that you would help us to, to walk faithfully before you telling this story of Jesus again and again and again. I thank you again for all those who have joined us, and I pray for any today who might be just kind of rustling in their own heart with where they stand with Jesus. Maybe, Maybe today, maybe now, even through a recording, this would be the moment when somebody would call out to you in simple faith and say, oh, God, I'm a sinner. Know that I've done wrong. And today, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior from sin, Christ, Christ alone. And Father, I pray that that would be the case, that some today would come to saving faith in the Savior. That is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us.